and welcome back to a new episode of the Hero Ball Podcast. It is 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time uh, on Wednesday, August 16th, and uh, I'm here with my buddy Ethan. Ethan, how are you doing? I am fantastic. I have finally settled into my new home in Portland, Oregon. We have internet, so I can pod now. It's fantastic. You know, in the, in the 21st century, we like to think we could get these things done in like less than a week. But it took a full two weeks of living in my apartment to get it um, all situated for potting. But I'm back, and I'm ready to, to give the takes and the analysis. So let's make things happen. Yeah, I mean, we, we both moved. Now we're Pacific time. We can now introduce things with Pacific time as we talk about when we're doing our podcasts. Uh, and also, yes, I feel you with that internet uh, it took us about a, a week as well. It was a, it was a struggle. Uh, but people didn't aren't tuning in to listen to our internet woes. They're here to talk, you know, hear some uh, analysis about some basketball. So why don't we go ahead and we're continuing our division breakdowns of, uh, you know, the different divisions within the NBA. And last week we did the Central. We're doing the Atlantic this week. And so, Ethan, let's go ahead and begin – with the 76ers, all right, Philadelphia 76ers last year, they were a, you know, they were 28 and 54 um, near the, near the bottom, you know, bottom seller of the league, but they've had a lot of additions. Uh, why don't you go ahead and um, tell us what they've done to remodel their team and give us some, uh, some of your thoughts about them. All right. Well, the three guys I want to mention specifically that I think will play a solid amount of rotation minutes for them is Markel Fultz, J.J. Redick, and Amir Johnson. Now, naturally, Markel Fultz was the first overall pick in the draft, traded with the Celtics, who acquired that pick via the Nets. You all know that. And then J.J. Redick signed to a one-year, like, $23 million deal, and Amir Johnson signed to a one-year, $11 million deal. These contracts are very good for the 76ers. They're going to get some production from some, some older guys, but they're not tied down with them. So those additions... I like them because they give you value instantaneously, but they don't hamstring you for the future. Yeah, I, I mean, getting J.J. Redick at that price, just considering some of the other deals that uh, went down or maybe didn't go down um, this summer just because of the salary cap being depressed, uh, you know, it makes you think, okay, maybe J.J. Redick is a bit overpaid. But like you said, it's only one year. Same thing with Amir Johnson. And I think for sure what they were trying to do this offseason is get a couple veterans, get a couple guys who know how to work, know how to prepare uh, to rub off on some of the young guys. Uh, you mentioned Markel Fultz. He's probably got to be one of the, um, you know, one of the, you know, rookies don't get tons of play. Uh, there will probably be more this uh, draft class just because it's a really strong one. But you know right out of the gate he's going to be getting some playing time. Um, how do you think he's going to adjust, uh, obviously, from playing on a horrible uh, team in Washington to actually have teammates around him that are, you know, NBA caliber? It's going to be fantastic for him. And he's not going to be the only, like, talented guy on the roster. You know, Joel Embiid is going to always be a, an enigma until he plays, you know, at least 50 games in a season. And he's yet to do that in his career. But you pair Markel Fultz with another young guy like, like Ben Simmons, a veteran like J.J. Redick, you know, Robert Covington as a 3-and-D guy and Joel Embiid, that's a very formidable starting lineup to me, not to mention Dario Saric, who had some Rookie of the Year buzz, you know, for his his uh, number compilations at the end of the season. 
this team has players, and they're going to be fun to watch. Um, the, the biggest thing that I have to see is how well Ben Simmons and Marco Fultz work without the basketball because both of them are going to demand it a lot, and they're both superior talents. Like, it's going to be an interesting balance to see what they strike with these two really good players, potentially franchise cornerstones. Yeah, and I'm curious to see how Brett Brown's going to kind of handle that. Like, uh, is he going – who's he going to want to be the main ball handler in all this? I think that he – you know, but even before the draft, there were, uh, you know, um, some – some discussions coming out of Philly saying, well, we actually want Ben Simmons to kind of play the point forward role and have him run it. But then they go and trade up, get Markel Fultz, number one point guard um, in the draft. And then now, you know, they kind of have two guys who really do have the ability to handle the ball. Um, And so I think I'd feel more comfortable probably with Ben Simmons with the ball in his hands than, uh, Marco Fultz, just because I'm a little bit wary still of of Ben Simmons's ability to shoot off the ball or just shoot in general, and and so I think having Ben Simmons have the ball, having Marco Fultz off of the ball more, um, I, I think that provides a little bit more spacing to begin with, and so especially because Ben Simmons is um, a forward, he's a he's a bigger guy, and so I think that having Ben Simmons on ball will probably be a better experience for them. Um, so, uh, anything else you want to do before we talk about their projections? Well, just something that I'd like to mention is what I would like to do if like, let's say hypothetically, I was allowed to coach the 76ers is I would actually want Markel Fultz running the first action, but I'd want it to be quick in the shot clock. And my idea behind this is if you can get a quick hitter with Markel Fultz getting to the rim or Joel Embiid, uh, pick pop or pick and roll. But if, if it gets shut down. I like the, the ability to that. If Ben Simmons is not a good shooter, they're not going to be on his body. That's a, that's a good escape pass any time that Marco Fultz gets in trouble to be able to throw it to Ben Simmons. He won't be shooting, but then that floor will be opened up for him to actually penetrate and use his superior vision on the second action. That's something a lot of teams lack. Like, you know, teams like the Warriors who have Durant, Curry, Draymond, all guys who can make plays off the bounce, that's what makes them superior offensive teams. It's being able to get the defense, you know, reeling, throw it out, and then – punch it right back into him. That's what I want to see out of these 76ers. And I think having Ben Simmons off the ball to start possessions will actually benefit him in in the ways that he can take better advantage when the defense begins to break down versus trying to break down the defense. Yeah, fair enough. Now, we mentioned that the Sixers won 28 games last last year. Vegas has them uh, has their over-under line at 40 and a half wins. Um, pretty big jump, 12, 12, about 12 games uh, of a jump there. Uh, but it seems as though, in my opinion, the Sixers probably have the widest range of, uh, or, or maybe not the widest, but a really wide range of potential outcomes here. If everything hits for them, obviously, you know, I've got JJ Reddick spreading the floor a bit. That, that's going to be super helpful for them. Uh, you have uh, Covington, who's a great 3 and D guy. You have Joel Embiid's ability to spread the floor. And so you hope that you know, if everyone stays healthy, that's that's been the the issue with some of these young picks for the Sixers. But if everyone stays healthy and they really thrive, and maybe Marco Fultz doesn't have, um, I guess, and Ben Simmons so don't have, you know, bad rookie experiences. You know, I, I could see some. You could see some really a lot of excitement with this team and some potential to um, to maybe do really well and even push towards the playoffs. But if something were to go wrong with Ben Simmons's foot, if he were to have an issue with uh, Embiid again, 
Um, if Fultz, you know, if he were to experience something for the third year, you know, for, for the three year in a row uh, for a high draft pick from Philly, that could really uh, derail things. And um, yeah, it's a, just a really wide range of potential outcomes. Um, what do you think is going to happen? What is your prediction for their team? How do you see it going? Well, obviously, Joel Embiid being healthy, in my opinion, is the biggest factor to this win total. Because if he plays in, like, let's say, let's be optimistic and say he plays in 50 games. I think they could win 30 of those. He is that good of a player now with the surrounding talent around him. I have a, a stat for you. It's pretty bland. It's just a stat that is factual. It's the 76ers led the league in turnovers last year. Now, Look at the players that they had running the show. You know, they had T.J. McConnell, undrafted player. Um, Robert Covington was forced to initiate offense. Joel Embiid brought the ball off the floor. I think that is going to be a key to them being more successful in this upcoming year. Between having Fultz and Simmons running a lot of action and J.J. Redick being the guy who can you know, take the ball and not commit turnovers, I like the idea of them getting rid of that that tag is having the most turnovers in the league. So I like to think that if they are healthy enough, and I'm, I'm just going to put the number at 50 games, as I've said with Joel Embiid, if he is healthy for 50 games, I think this team will go over their projection, their Vegas projection. And I think there'll be a 500 team topping out at 45 wins. But I think if, if Embiid plays 50 games, they'll win 41. Like not of his games, but total, you know, as a, as a team. That's my projection. But if, if Embiid's not healthy, if he's, like, closer to 30 games, I don't think they get to 40. Yeah, I have them at 41. I have them uh, narrowly missing the playoffs um, at about 41 wins. Um, and I think, for me, that's kind of the optimistic everything. Like, well, maybe kind of like maybe the middle ground there. If everyone stays healthy or most of the time they stay healthy, but, you know, are just, you know, pretty average, maybe you have some rookie struggles with Markel Fultz and Ben Simmons. Maybe you can't figure out um, the spacing with, with Ben Simmons on the floor and maybe your team sag off him. Maybe you can't figure out what to do with Jaleel Okafor when he's in there, how that really affects the offense. Um, I don't know how, you know, forgot he's still on the team. Um, but you, know, you could see um, you could see some, uh, some reason for optimism here. Um, I think that they do miss the playoffs, but just narrowly. Uh, and, you know, we just hope that everyone stays healthy in the meantime. Yeah, and that's, that's all you got to hope for. I, I personally think Julio Okafor shouldn't play if Embiid's playing. Like, I think Embiid and Rashad Holmes are your, your center options if everyone on the team's healthy. Julio Okafor is a, a five minutes a game. If your offense is struggling, just throw him in there, let him try to get some post touches, try to get something going, little inside-out game, if your offense isn't working. That's my thought for him. Otherwise, see what you can get for him. Mm -hmm. So let's go ahead and move on to uh, a team who was uh, on the opposite end of uh, the spectrum, but also picking really high near the the top of this draft. Um, The Boston Celtics um, last year getting the number one seed in the East, um, obviously losing to the Celtics in the uh, conference championships, but they were 53 and 29 last year. Um, And, key additions of Gordon Hayward. Um, obviously they drafted Jason Tatum. They picked up Aaron Baines to bolster the front line and uh, brought over Ate Zizek from, um, from Europe. And um, what do you think? Oh, I forgot. Also brought in Marcus Morris. 
in that uh, in the Avery Bradley trade, which is uh, a key loss for them. Um, what do you think about the different moves that they were able to make this year? And how do you think after the dust all settles and, um, you know, they begin moving on uh, in, in the season, how do you think they're going to end up here? The, the greatest value contracts in the NBA are superstar talents at the max. It like, and this is actual superstar talent. And I believe Gordon Hayward is a superstar talent because when you cap what someone's earning potential is, you're actually decreasing like like LeBron James should make as much money as he wants, but there's a, there's a salary cap and there's a max salary slot. So getting Gordon Hayward for the max, not paying him like what he's probably worth was just a little more. That's a good value contract. But like the thing about it is Hayward's still in a position that they already had a replacement level player at in Jay Crowder. And what, when you have a chance to sign a great player, you sign him. But the biggest problem the Celtics have is not at the small forward position. It's in the front court, like in the power forward center positions. They don't have anyone who can rebound. Like Marcus Morris, below average rebounder if you play him at power forward. He's probably slightly above average at small forward, but I just don't see him playing much of that position with the way the roster is. And then you have Jason Tatum. You're going to have Jalen Brown getting better. Like all these guys who are small forwards that don't rebound. That's like it's it's really frustrating for me, Richard, because I want this team to be successful because I, I do have a, a soft spot for Gordon Hayward being from Indiana myself. But like if you're telling me Aaron Baines and Ante Zijic are the answer to your rebounding woes, I, I I'm not seeing it yet. Well, I'll tell you, I, I watched a lot of Aaron Baines uh, the past couple of years. You know, it was you know said that you know Stan overpaid again for um you know for a free agent one of his first ones for the you know with the overpay on. Uh, people didn't really like it. Oh, why are you paying him that much money when you could have got, you know, Kyle Quinn for much, much for a much cheaper, um, you know, price. But honestly, Aaron Baines was a really steadying force, especially because of the up and down nature that uh, Andre Drummond had had this past year for for the Pistons. And um, actually, the way that I see their uh, depth chart and their lineup going, I actually see them maybe playing Al Horford at the power forward a bit and having Baines start. Um, and I know you kind of look at it and say, well, why, why would you do that? But in, in doing so, um, you know, you can basically, I think they would rather start off bigger um, when you're, when you're starting off a game, Al Horford uh, at the power forward, Aaron Baines at the, um, at the center. I think that they would start Jay Crowder at the, at the small forward and Gordon Hayward at, at the shooting guard. Uh, and then go Isaiah Thomas at the at the point guard. That's what I think that their starting lineup will be. I don't think that's their best lineup. I think that uh, they will go uh, you know down the stretch. I don't think Aaron Baines is playing the last you know five minutes of a game. Uh, I think at that time that's when you see uh, you know depending on what they want more Marcus Morris in there with Gordon Hayward or maybe you just go really small Gordon Hayward at the small forward, Jay Crowder at the power forward. Uh, or maybe you have Jason Tatum in there. I don't know. It depends on – I don't know. I don't know if you play rookies a whole lot if, if you're this Boston Celtics team uh, who's aiming for that one seed. But um, I, I think that maybe with bringing in Baines, who you know isn't great, he's replacement level, but he's not terrible either. I think having him in there um, really can – maybe having him and Horford in there, Horford's going to be a way better rebounder at the power forward, uh, at least, you know, uh, value wise than he is at the center um, with someone like Marcus Morris. I saw, Mar I watched Marcus Morris and 
Uh, the only reason why he worked out at the power forward is because we had Andre Drummond grabbing every single board. Uh, that's the reason why he worked out there. Um, he didn't really work out there. Um, I don't think he'll work out if you have him playing power forward to Al Horford's center. Let me take you through a, a statistical breakdown of the rebounding woes. They had, this being the Boston Celtics, had the seventh worst offensive rebound percentage. Seventh worst. So, yeah, you know, that's not actually that bad. You know, maybe they made a lot of shots, so they didn't have as many opportunities. Whatever. Seventh worst is what that came out to. Fourth worst defensive rebounding percentage. Now, keep this in mind. This happened while they also held opponents to the ninth lowest field goal percentage. So their defense by field goal percentage was the ninth best in the league, and they're losing the fourth most rebounds defensively. That's a problem, and I don't think playing Aaron Baines in like the first seven minutes with Horford, or the first quarter or the first seven minutes within the second quarter, I don't think that fixes the problem. And to be honest, like if you're going to play those two together, I think you're really shrinking the floor for Isaiah Thomas, and you will not see him be a like. In the, I don't think he's a superstar, but you won't see him in the superstar realm if he's the floor gets shrunk for him. I guess, but you got to remember that uh, you know last year um, you had Amir Johnson um, uh, there in, in the four position. He was he was the kind of the de facto starter there. I, he, I don't think he really. I mean, he wasn't who you wanted to end games with. Um, but you know, as much as Baines is not a floor spreader. I don't think Amir Johnson is uh, really a outside threat either. Um, you know, when you got Kenny Kelly Olynyk in there, you know that that spreads out a little bit more. But I don't. I think that because you have Horford who can step out a little bit, um, and you know, Baines doesn't have to be right next to the basket. He does have you know elbow range probably. Um, you know, I, I don't think it shuts it down totally. Uh, and adding adding some of Gordon Hayward's. Uh, caliber, I think that that makes you have to remain more honest than you maybe had to with Avery Bradley. And so for those reasons, I, I don't I don't think it crowds it quite uh, as much as you may be anticipating. And we also have to remember, uh, you know, la- last year, uh, they didn't get much help at the four position either um, you know, yeah. in helping out, uh, um, you know, the, the five. Yeah, I, I think I just think those rebounding problems are what's going to bite them. Because, like, the, the team you're chasing, which we'll see what the Cavaliers are, will do, but, like, has a Tristan Thompson that eats boards against bad defenders. Like, if, if the Heat are improved, Hassan Whiteside eats up rebounds. If the Pistons are improved, Drummond eats – like, I could see a, a bad first-round matchup for these Celtics coming in the forms of the Heat or Pistons, depending on how the seedings all line up. Even the, even the uh, Hornets with all the bigs that they have, like, you could have some bad first-round matchups where you get really beat up. You might win the series, but you're not going to be as prepared for the next year. Like, it, I just see that that's the road of danger for them. It might not affect them because they do have some superior talent compared to a lot of the other East teams, but that is their tragic flaw. Let's get oh, to their projection. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're, I mean, you're totally right. I mean, I think we saw that with the Bulls. I mean, round one. Bulls a terrible team, but Robin Lopez turned into someone from the Monstars from Space Jam. Uh, that series. Yeah. So projections uh, last year, they won 53 games. Vegas bumps them up a game and a half uh, for the over under to 54 and a half. Um, uh, what, you know, what do you think as far as, do you think that's fair? I mean, uh, do you think that's a reasonable over underline and, and where do you stand with it? 
I think it's a, a low – like, if Vegas is trying to win money, I think that's a low number because I think they're going to win close to 60 games just simply based on – they're this is like the kind of team that doesn't lose the bad teams because they have guys who work hard all the, all, all the games. Their superstars don't really take nights off. Like, I don't remember, like, having any kind of Isaiah Thomas rest. I don't remember Hayward resting unless he uh, was injured last year. And I, and I don't remember Horford resting. So, like, you have these guys who are just, you know, these – they you know, they're just the tone setters. They just – they keep the pace. They keep things going. And then they got closers like Isaiah Thomas. Like, I just think this is the kind of team that doesn't lose to bad teams. And with the, the schedule they're going to play in the East, gives them a chance to rack up quite a few wins. And I, just, I think they're going to win 60 games. I mean, I think that's fair. I don't have them quite as high as – I do have them over barely just at 55. But I, you're, you're talking me into it, though, because they're a team not only that has, you know, Gordon Hayward and Isaiah Thomas, but they have lots of depth as well. Obviously, some of it's really young depth, um, you know, with Jason Tatum and stuff. But I think he's also one of those rookies who's going to get some time, uh, even though the front court is a little bit, uh, you know, jam-packed with a lot of people there. But uh, – they have the depth where they don't need to worry about, you know, overplaying people on a night to night basis. And I think that they have the type of team that has the ability to really thrive during the regular season. We saw that last year. Um, and the year before it, that even. Yeah, yeah. And so it really, I think comes down to uh, the playoffs. That's really what matters uh, for them um, in the playoffs. How are they going to match up when they have to play a team in a seven game series? Uh, especially like you're mentioning with quality rebounding. Um you know, we'll have to see. Maybe there's a move to be made in the middle of the season. I don't know how much they want to rock the boat midstream, but they have lots of pieces. They have lots of assets that they can flip and flop uh, for whoever they want. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to the the New York Knicks. They won 31 games last year, lost 51. There's been a lot of changes in the front office. You know, Phil Jackson's gone, so the triangle should go with him. You know, hopefully a coach I kind of like and Jeff Hornacek will have a chance to, you know, try to do some things that he did in Phoenix when they had that surprise year and just narrowly missed the playoffs. Their additions would include Tim Hardaway Jr., Michael Beasley, and Frank uh, Tilakina as anyone who I would consider reasonably notable. Um, but they, they lost Derrick Rose, who, you know, regardless of what you think about him, he scored lots of points for him, you know, 18 points a game. That's something, like everyone needs a guy just to throw shots in the hoop. They lost Brandon Jennings, one of my personal favorite players, and Justin Holiday, a, a reasonable three and D guy for this team. So, Richard, we're looking at this team. It's gonna they're gonna be a stinker. Um, what what are your thoughts for them? Well, um, you, you mentioned that you know Phil, Phil Jackson is is out of there along with his methods. I wonder what that really you know the reason why they brought in Frank Tilakino is because of his moldability. Kind of interesting. Now I wonder where they're gonna go. Um, it, and so they're gonna be a really curious team to me. I don't really know have a feel for them because of you know all of the um, unknowns with what they have going on I mean you know are they gonna trade Carmelo you'd think um, are they going to uh, try to get Kyrie they're, they're you know they're a team that's been in discussions I don't know how you pull it off if you're them but I don't I don't think that this team finishes out the year the way that they look right now and so because of that it's kind of hard to get a feel for where they're gonna go what I do know uh, for them is, well, you have Kristaps Porzingis. That's great. Uh, you're going to have Tim Hardaway Jr. for a while, for better or for worse. Um, he's probably going to be fine. Um, 
as a starter, and obviously for the money he's making, uh, that's not great. Um, and you know that you're going to have Joe Kim Noah sitting in the second row. Uh, those things are certain for this team. But uh, what's going on at point guard for them? They got Ron Baker. Uh, is he is he going to be their starter this year? Uh, I don't think you're starting with a um, a rookie point guard who's really raw in uh, in Frank. Uh, and then if you do trade Carmelo, who are you having start at 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 that wing? I don't know. Uh, and so it's just really you know things are really up in the air for this team. I don't really have a good feel for where they'll end up. Um, if I were to to make a prediction. Uh, I have them down for 35 wins just because, I don't know, um, why not give them the benefit? Maybe they can pull off a, a decent trade for Mello. Maybe not. Uh, maybe that's too high. Um, if they do decide that they're going to unload a bunch of things and basically just tank it, which I guess very well could be, they, they could drop uh, down below. Uh, Ethan, where do you think that they're going to be? Am I being a little too optimistic for them? Yeah, because they're going to they're gonna figure out how to get – like I, I still don't know how that that uh that Carmelo trade is gonna work, but I am convinced that it will happen. And also, I don't think Carmelo is a guy that even on this team, I don't think he's the kind of guy who drags you to wins. Honestly, like it, it's it's Kristaps or nothing for me. And how well this Tilakina guy is, which I frankly just don't know that much about. You know, it's just it comes down to this: they have a bunch of guys who have been uh, cast offs from. Different teams like Tim Hardaway Jr., an original New York Nick cast off when Phil Jackson came, you know, brought back in by Steve Mills, who apparently liked him. That's why they, they drafted him in the first place. You know, Michael Beasley's been a cast off on every team he's ever played for. You know, he's a, he's, he's a scorer. That's all he is. And you can't be relied on game in and game out for that. There's just nothing I see on this team that resembles any form of stability and consistency because even Christopher Zingas isn't that. In fact, their most consistent players are their centers, Willie Hernan Gomez and Kyle O'Quinn, because Willie Hernan Gomez is going to get rebounds and Kyle O'Quinn's going to take bad mid-range jump shots. He's going to make some, but he's going to take them. Those are the only two things I am sure about on this Knicks team, but they're going to lose. They're going to win 25 games. No more, wow. probably less. You're probably, yeah, you're probably right. I, I think – I think that this team um, would would really benefit from being terrible this year. Uh, I mean, they they own their own draft pick, um, and if you have Carmelo, you're trying to get rid of him. Uh, if you do unload him, you know, hopefully you're not. Uh, I mean, they're probably not going to bring someone back that's good unless they pull off a trade for Kyrie. If you could somehow get Kyrie and Kristaps, and that's you know that's your team, um, fine. Uh, but you know, with with them, you know, Ron Ron Baker doesn't make me super excited. Uh, sad. <laughs> well, uh, I'm glad that that that's who we have running the, the New York Knicks here. Um, I think that that'll probably make Knicks fans a bit sad. But uh, you know, it, it just depends. Can they execute uh, this tank job with Carmelo on the team? Probably not. And so we're just gonna have to wait and see until we find out what that trade is, where he goes and what that makes the team look like afterward. The biggest thing Knicks fans have to look forward to is trading Courtney Lee for a late first-round draft pick. You think that's, You think he'll, he'll garner that much? Oh, I mean, I, I'm talking about a team that's like going to make the playoffs and just needs a 3-and-D guard, and they're desperate. They just send off a pick because they don't – like their, their, their window is going to close otherwise. That, that, like, that's the most optimistic thing I can think of for the Knicks because – 
when you trade Carmelo Anthony, you're not going to get a lot back for him. You're probably going to get at least some bad money. Like, Knicks fans, just take solace in the fact that you have, you know, the unicorn Christoph Porzingis and that someday he's probably going to be an amazing, amazing, amazing player, not just a fun guy to watch. And if you execute this tank job really well, maybe you'll get one of the um, one of the guys in the upcoming draft. Yeah. Well, that brings us to uh, the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, last season were a putrid twenty and sixty-two. Although they did give lots of effort, um, uh, unfortunately, they were not rewarded with their own uh, draft pick that went to Boston, and and so this year they also don't own their pick. So really. Uh, it's, you know, uh, thank you, Billy King, but they don't have any incentive to tank here. They, they really don't. Uh, and so th- when they won 20 games last year, they were they were really trying because they had no incentive to tank then, but now they have a whole lot better players. They brought in D'Angelo Russell and Timothy Mozgov uh, in the trade made with the Lakers to offload Brooke Lopez. Uh, they brought in Alan Crabb a year after they offered the bank for him um, in restricted free agency. They brought in Damari Carroll's contract um, in a trade with uh, the Raptors, um, basically just, just for assets and, you know, why not take on cap, you know, cap space if, if you have it, if you're the, if you're the Nets and they drafted Jared Allen. Um, now, how come, how come Ethan Vegas does not really, care for the nets they have them projected at 20 and a half wins when they won 20 last year you think for a team that has no incentive to lose and an incentive to really try hard and who has up you know who has brought in a lot of talent how come their projection is so low and do you find any merit in having that really low projection if you can get those odds i don't endorse gambling wink wink but go bet as much as you can on um, the New York Nets if, if you can get that that over under. Brooklyn, Brooklyn Nets. Did I say New York? My goodness, I'm terrible. Yeah. The Brooklyn Nets, go bet on them to win over 20 and a half games. Because listen here, they still – and by the way, they did tank last year. They let the Bulls beat them and kept Miami out of the playoffs. Don't nope. think I forgot. Nah, that's one game. It's one game. <laughs> anyway, so they got this guy named D'Angelo Russell who was the second overall pick. Quality scorer, young guy, you know, they talk about his, you know, intangibles and his maturity, but, you know, how much of that is just related to that one off-the-court incident, you know, whatever. I like this team in terms of a a fun team to watch. They're going to be up and down the court. I got some stats for you, buddy. Here we go. The Nets led the league in pace last year, which is an approximation for possessions per uh, 48 minutes. They were fourth in three-point attempts. However, they were fifth worst in three-point percentage. Well, that's unfortunate. Okay, so think about this, though. You add D'Angelo Russell. He's a better shooter than, you know, their starter, Jeremy Lin, or Yogi Ferrell, whoever else filled that position during the year. You add Alan Crabb, second-best three-point shooter by percentage in the league last year. And you add Damari Carroll, not scared to shoot, shoots 34%. All improvements. They're going to be better at shooting threes. So if this team plays the same, I believe in Ken Atkinson to get him to play hard. You throw in Timothy Mozgov and Jared Allen, 
you're getting now four, probably 48 minutes of, you know, league average center play versus however many Brooke gave you of slightly above league average and then no backups. I like yeah. this team. Yeah, I I like them. I like them like a lot better than last year. And so I, I do think they're going to really outproduce um, what they did what they did a year ago. Uh, bringing in Alan Crabb, a great three point shooter, um, is great. Bringing back or bringing in D'Angelo uh, Russell, I think, is going to help them with their playmaking. You know, they drafted Karis Levert last year, uh, and he played he played well uh, for them. Um, the Jeremy Lin actually didn't play a whole lot last year. Uh, he went down with injury, and so that's you can also kind of look at that as an addition uh, for this year. Um, they were running a lot of Spencer Dinwiddie, who uh, um, used to be on the Pistons. He was terrible with the Pistons. He actually played pretty decently for the um, Nets last year, but, I mean, just considering how terrible their team was, that can tell you how uh, even though playing, you know, that can tell you the type of decent he was. Um, he was a starter on a really terrible team in the league, but um, you know I, I think that bringing bring in these uh, you know new exciting offensive pieces uh, coupled with the pace that you have last year because that's a coaching thing. If if they want to be you know if they want to be at a high pace, uh, I think adding these players only helps. Um, if they want to shoot a lot of threes, adding these players only helps as well. Obviously, Timothy Mozgov, you're not going to get it from the center position a whole lot with him. But everywhere else, I think that uh, you're going to see a, a marked improvement from them. And uh, I have them at 32 wins, which is about you know, 11-12 games over the Vegas line. Um, but I don't think that I'm being uh, too unreasonable when I say that because they don't, they don't have any incentive to be bad. And they have a lot of young, exciting guys, and I think they would be a fun league pass team to watch this year. Um, and so, uh, where, where do you have them uh, as far, as far as the record goes, Ethan? Let's just go with thirty-two. Let's keep it simple. I I don't know what their win total is going to be. I just know it's going to be more than twenty and a half, which is the current line. I say in quotations marks. Um, you know, if all things break break right, I could see them even going over. Like I don't see them, you know, pushing 500, but I could see like 35, 36 at the uh, at the peak, just because there's there's something to a like if you play a two run a, like a two point guard lineup similar to what the Hornets did with Kemba Walker and uh, Jeremy Lin, they might not have the uh, size to like transfer all that down, but like a a, a, a Russell, Lin, Crab, Carroll, center, Mozgov or Allen, that's a lineup that you could see get some minutes. And that's, you know, four guys who are pretty good shooters, two guys who can really attack. Similar situation what I was talking about with Philly where one guy takes it in, kicks it back across. The other guy, like, you're setting up multiple ways to attack a defense there, surrounded by shooters and a, and a rim, a rim stander-under guy. I mean, he, <laughs> I'm not going to praise their centers yet, but I, I could see this team surprising people. Like, this is one of the bad teams that could actually beat the Celtics in a given game because they're, they could get hot from three. So. I like them. They're not going to win more than – they're not going to be 500, but they're, they're not going to only win 20. Yeah, I, I don't think that they're going to be uh, you know, the worst team in the league uh, this year like they were last year, uh, which maybe, maybe um, if, if you're a Celtics fan, sorry about that. Um, the Toronto Raptors, our final team uh, in the division, last year went 51 and 31. Um, you know – they had a pretty good uh, um, regular season. Ended up getting uh, hitting the same record as the Cavs, 
uh, did last year. And so, you know, they had a pretty good year, but the offseason did uh, did not help them out a whole lot. There were there was talk, well, maybe they should just blow it up. Maybe they should fire the head coach. Maybe they should do all of this. But they decided to kind of get people back together again. They brought in um, – they, they, I guess they brought uh, – they brought back Kyle Lowry. Um, they brought back uh, Serge Ibaka, um, but they lost some, you know, some some front court depth. They lost, you know, Damari Carroll, um, who I guess they really just wanted to get rid of him for his contract. Uh, but they lost PJ Tucker. They lost Patrick Patterson. I think the Patterson loss is going to be the biggest one for them. They also lost Corey Joseph. Um, they brought in CJ Miles, drafted. OG Anunoby, uh, Kennedy Meeks, and uh, well, what do you think is going to happen with these Raptors this year? Do you think there's any way they they are able to make it back to where they were last year? No, <laughs> unequivocally no. Um, you you don't. They're players that they have that are like we'll say good to great between Ibaka, DeRozan, and Lowry. I don't see any of, the, any of them making steps forward. Lowry's at that age where he's going to either plateau or start to decline. DeRozan plays a style of game that doesn't exist in modern basketball where he takes – here's a stat for you. DeMarcus – or that's a DeMarcus. DeMar DeRozan led the league in two-point field goal attempts. He doesn't really go to the line unless he's drawing BS fouls. Which he does, he does do frequently. He does do it, but, you know, they're probably going to crack down that a little bit this year. True. Like, if, if I had my way, anyway. They didn't replace Patrick Patterson or P.J. Tucker. And when they trade to Mark, like, they only replaced that with C.J. Miles. And then you can say O.G. Ananubi, who is not probably going to play for the first couple months of the season. Probably not. So, basically, what you're telling me is the guys that you had on the bench that didn't get playing time last year are all of a sudden going to step up and be your new role players. Now, that's a lovely idea to have. How It, it doesn't work like that often. Like, talent usually – like, the cream rises, you know. Like, the people who are good find playing time even when they're young usually. Like, I, I, not to get too heat-centric, but I remember a Josh Richardson during his rookie season when he came up from the D-League, all of a sudden he started getting some minutes because he was shooting effectively and he played a lot of good defense. You would have thought, like, DeLon Wright would have got more minutes if he was doing those things as well. But these guys aren't getting the extra minutes. Like, you know, Jakob Proto would play some games and get more minutes, and sometimes it was Lucas Noguera. Like, they didn't have like, – these guys didn't get consistent minutes last year and now they're going to have to. And that's where I'm sketched out about it. And, and they traded Corey Joseph. I don't think we mentioned his name yet. And that's a quality point guard to have him in your second unit. Yeah, briefly mentioned him. But yeah, you lose him uh, as, as well. You lose a whole lot of depth. Their best, uh, their best bench players, probably Norman Powell and DeLon Wright. I mean, and those are at the positions where you have your two best players. Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan. So you're probably not going to be getting them tons of minutes. Norman Powell played pretty well. Maybe you, know, maybe you can play him and DeMar together if you need to, uh, if C.J. Miles is, is sitting. But you really have no front court depth. Um, you're hoping Jakob Pertl can can make a jump in the second year, but it doesn't seem that that's been going so great. Jonas Valanciunas has been in trade rumors for forever now, it seems. Mm-hmm. And 
it just it just seems really like you know you, they brought this team back, but it seems as though they hit their their peak last year. They hit their peak in in what they could do, in my opinion. Um, and they went out try to get Ibaka. They they went out to try to get PJ Tucker. You know, training training first round picks and everything to, to really just try to go all in because there was worry about well are, are the Cavs going through some some sort of stuff because you know they went about fifth. Um, 50% after the all-star break. And so they kind of went all in and it, you know, got swept. During the first I mean, pick in the process, first round pick. Yeah. In the process. Yeah. And, and so um, Vegas uh, has, I would say a very generous projection of, you know, 45 and a half wins is the line. I, for, sorry, for, for, yeah, 48 and a half. I, I don't see I don't see a way that they get there. I don't see a way that they uh, um, get close to icing. I think this is a team that could really take a large step backwards. And I think that you are in uh, agreement there. I, I very strongly agree. I look at um, how they played last year, and they don't take enough threes. Now, you know, that's partially because DeMar DeRozan just doesn't like to shoot them. So, like, they don't play a modern offense. They have a good center, but he's a dinosaur. He doesn't play – like, he's not a good enough defender that he can't have a, a, a bigger offensive role. Like, think about Rudy Gobert and Hassan Whiteside. While they don't have, like, the most advanced post games and they don't shoot very well, they're ver- really, really good at dunking the ball. So, it works, and they play great defense. It works. Valentinus is a big body. He'll rebound for you. But I just don't think he's a guy you play more than, like, whatever, 28 minutes, and the backup's supposed to take up the next the other 20. <sighs> With the lack of depth at the three and four position, I don't know how you really would even slide Ibaka down now. Like, that's one of the appeals of, ba- of Ibaka in my mind is, okay, for 10 minutes a game, we play him at, at fo- the five and really spread everything out. It just comes down to me, for me, Richard, this team took a lot of steps back. And teams like Miami took steps forward. Um, the Wizards are going to stay the same. Um, the Pistons took steps forwards. Like, and I, we'll, we'll talk about them later, but I think Charlotte took steps forward. And I think the Raptors took a big step back. Yeah, for one of the teams that was contending for some of the top spots in the playoffs, uh, I think we could be finding them um, vying for some of the bottom spots. Uh, I have them at 44 wins, uh, which in, in my rankings would have them being the seventh team. Uh, maybe, you know, they have a really good backcourt. Uh, you know, Kyle Lowry, DeMar DeRozan, those are good Those are good players. Probably going to make all, the All-Star game this year because the East is also very weak. But uh, when, you, when you look at it, I, I just don't see this team with their lack of depth being able to – to be a consistently good team in the regular season. I think that even though you play in the East, I think you're, you're going to find yourself in some, some serious issues. And because of your lack of depth, you're probably going to play your starters a lot. And a team that had to do that last year and in previous years uh, was the Los Angeles Clippers. And they always found themselves having injuries, injuries uh, partway through the year. It really, when it happened, really derailed them. And I think, you know, there's the potential for that here because of the lack of, uh, Front court depth they have. Yep, it, it's going to hurt them, you know. And I, I didn't even mention the Bucks, the team that's going to take some steps forward. Like you said, forty-four wins. Like 
I, I would say less. I'd say 42. Like, I, I, I kind of see them as what the Bucks were last year. They'll, they'll have two really good players. And the way I'm going to break this down for the Bucks is they had Giannis and Jabari. And then when Jabari got hurt, Middleton was back. That's kind of the way I see this team. They're going to have two guys who can really carry a team, you know, for individual games, but it's not going to be enough for the year. And the Bucks were really streaky last year. And they're kind of similar teams, and then both teams don't take lots of threes. And when you don't take lots of threes, you really, like, narrow your window of, like, how much mistakes you can make in the in the margins. Because three-point three, three, three shooting can be the killer or the, you know, the saving grace for a lot of teams. Yeah, I also think that uh, in your comparison of those two teams, the, the you know, Bucks and the Raptors, I think the Bucks also just had way, way better depth, too. I mean, you have – I mean – that that's a team from top to bottom that has you know you're bringing Greg Monroe off the bench there, who you know who has that ability in the front court over here on this team, uh, I mean I you know obviously um, you know having Giannis hoping that he makes the leap we talked about that in the last pod I, I just I just think you're gonna find the Raptors really taking a huge step back and depending on injury you know, they could even miss the playoffs which would be a really big fall from grace for last year's three seed. Yeah, like I have to count the teams. Like I see Celtics, Cavs, Wizards. That's that's three. Bucks, Heat, Pistons, Hornets. That's only seven teams. And then if the Sixers like took the leap that we just we both have talked, we don't think that'd be the eighth team. But I, because I don't see the Pacers and Bulls and Hawks staying in the playoffs. So I don't think they'll miss the playoffs. I think that's a reach. But they're, mm-hmm. they they could easily find themselves seven eight seed, and I think that's where they'll be. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to see how it goes. Um, well, I think that's all we got for today, Ethan. Um, uh, good talking with you. And why don't we go ahead and close off with um, our hero ball quote of the week from um, Isaiah Thomas from the Boston Celtics, who says, it ain't a highlight reel until someone's ankles get broken. <laughs> <laughs>